welcome to the Silicon Vets Gaming Podcast, uh, episode one. Uh, if you had previously been a listener of the podcast, you might be a little confused as to why it's suddenly back at episode one. But long story short, uh, I wasn't happy with the way the podcast was going and the general uh, editorial direction of the podcast, and so we are taking it back to square one, starting fresh, and uh, and hoping to do a better to- a better job this time around. My name is Trevor. Uh, I am your host, and uh, I am an army veteran and a massive nerd. And uh, I am joined today by Kenny. Say hi, Kenny. Hey, everyone. Kenny, uh, Navy vet, also massive nerd. So uh, happy to be here and look forward to uh, triggering Trevor to hopefully uh, provide some entertaining content as we go on here. Yeah, exactly. So um, with that out of the way, the topic of the day today for episode one is uh, do consoles still need generations? Um, That's an interesting topic. Can I uh, ask you to explain that before we dive into it? Are you asking what when you say generation, what do you mean by that? What what are you asking here? That's a great question. So traditionally, the console business model, if you think back to like the original Nintendo and the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo, is every time a new con- gaming console was released, it effectively deprecated the old machine and made the old machine irrelevant in terms of the marketplace and also the content. So when Nintendo released the Super Nintendo, it did not play the original NES games. It only played Super Nintendo games. And so if you wanted to play your old games, you had to keep that old console machine. And then the same thing happened when the Super Nintendo was replaced by the Nintendo 64. The Nintendo 64 was a new console. It was a new machine. It had new hardware and new features. And these machines were often exponentially more powerful. And no one really worried about backwards compatibility. No one really worried about keeping your old games. It was kind of understood that when the new consoles came out, you bought into the you bought into that ecosystem, and then you stayed in it until it was retired with the advent of another full generation, if you will. So when okay. I say, that makes sense, yeah. When I say the console generation, that that's the kind of framework that we are uh, talking about here. Now, right, and this was a different era. This was, I mean, the physical media. Literally, you you couldn't plug an NES cartridge into an SNES, that sort of thing. So as we're approaching consoles as they are now where we're simply physical media itself is practically dated are you suggesting that you know it, we, the consoles upgrade but the the media itself you say you ownership have your ownership for whatever video game and that just carries on through different systems and that that's what you mean by say a generational list console well yeah because if you look at the pc you have the pc kind of functions more like a what's uh what's often referred to as an evergreen gaming machine where effectively when you buy new pc hardware it doesn't make your old software stop working um in fact, it's the opposite. When you buy a new graphics card, your old games tend to run better on the new graphics card. So it actually, by upgrading your uh, your PC, your gaming PC, you often can breathe new life into older titles because you can enjoy them at a higher fidelity and standard than you did previously. And legacy support for up to a certain, uh, up to a limited degree, is a part of PC gaming. The the idea 
you know, when you went from Windows 7 to Windows 10, you didn't lose all your Windows 7 games. You didn't lose all your your uh, your applications that ran in Windows 7. They all ran in Windows 10 exactly, for the most part, exactly as they did in Windows 7. Now, as you go farther back in the PC, you know, the history of the PC, because PCs, PCs have been around for ages, um, yes, if, you talk, if you're talking about, like, old DOS games and maybe Windows 95 games from 20 years ago, yes, the support for those is more limited than the more modern period. But the general idea is that there is no PC2. You know, you don't go for... You, sort of PlayStation went from PlayStation to PlayStation 2 to PlayStation 3 to 4 to 5. There's no PC2. You know, it's just the PC, and it just continues to evolve and grow. And, and yeah, the day I can, you know, get Simman working on my Windows 10 box, I'm taking a day off from work to do so. But for the most part, yep, get what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So it <clears throat> now a lot of this, but a lot of that older um, model with the console generations was built with like the business model was built around the technology to a certain degree because each generation computing was evolving and changing so quickly. Like there were like within a, a short period of time, you would have just incredible. Uh, growth in the t terms of the technology, like the jump between Super Nintendo and Nintendo 64, is absolutely massive from a technical standpoint. The the change from you know a, a primarily 2D sprite-based machine to a fully 3D machine, uh, uh, the shape of the car, the, the 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 cartridge format, like all of these hardware factors came into play. But what we've seen as consoles has evolved. And especially, it it started last generation, and it's main it's been maintained this generation, is that consoles are kind of consolidating technologically around the same architecture, and that architecture happens to be the same x86 architecture that a modern PC uses, and this basically means that modern consoles are really just highly customized PCs that run their own custom operating systems. So, you know, the PS5 and the, seri uh, the Xbox Series X, they, like the PS4 and the Xbox One before them, they both feature chips and uh, processors that are sourced from AMD, which is a major PC manufacturer. And so they both run on the same type of hardware, and then the differentiation is simply that the Xbox runs a custom variant of Windows that Microsoft has developed for gaming, and the PlayStation runs its own version. Its own Sony has its own operating system. That's actually a uh, it's it's a a derivative of Unix. It's a Unix-based operating system, um, but it's their architecturally consoles have never been closer to PCs than they are today. And this brings into this brings into sort of the limelight a a question because they're they're similar to PCs in terms of hardware and now with I think of the 80% or so 70 or 80% of new game sales are digital now. So people aren't buying cartridges anymore and to a certain degree they almost aren't even buying discs anymore. They're doing digital downloads. So in an era where you have effectively PC hardware running a copper, co bleh, custom operating system and there's no physical media why can't you have backwards compatibility? 
And if you for sure. do have and backers... And we're already there in a way, right? Because, yeah. I mean, I'm one of those who, who still, you know, who knows when I'll actually get a PS5, but I assume a good chunk of the PS4 digital library is carrying over, is it? Is it not? So, yeah, the PS5 is... Well, yeah, one, first off, yeah, I hear you. I mean, when did that thing... PS5 came out in November. Here we are at the end of January. You, st- you still can't buy one. It's, it's insane. Um, but you're absolutely right. The, the PS5, with a few exceptions, plays all of the PS4 games. So if you put a PS4 disc into a PS5, it will run on the PS5. So you don't need to keep your PS4 in order to play your PS4 games. Now, Microsoft has done one, has taken it one step further. And Microsoft, especially over the course of the Xbox One generation, they've kind of gone all in on this new model for the Xbox, where they've created backwards compatibility that not only, that effectively encompasses all the generations of Xbox. Um, it's not every title, because again, it ha- there are technical limitations that have to be overcome, but for the most part, any title that can be played on Xbox One right now can also be played on the new one. So any origin, so OG Xbox games, Xbox 360 games, Xbox One games, all of those generations can be played on the new Series X and Series S consoles. And without getting too into the weeds, the reason Microsoft can do that, a lot of it has to do with the way that their their applications are run. Microsoft uses a very sophisticated virtualization uh, process for its applications on Xbox. So effectively, every game is running within its own little virtual machine, um, which allows them a lot of it. It abstracts the game out of some uh, out of it, it removes the game from some of the the hardware limitations and allows it to they can effectively trick the console into running the game as if it were still running on the old hardware which allows them to have these kind of perfect backwards compatibility uh functionality if you will um so i can finally get around to you know finishing halo 5 yeah, I know, right? Uh, and so, but it but it also does this thing where it because it's virtualized, they can also make tweaks to it without actually going back and changing the source code, and that's the that's the big difference between what Sony is doing with their backwards compatibility and what Microsoft is doing, and you see it in that like Microsoft, and we'll get more into this later, but some of the older games are actually getting improvements when they are run in backwards compatibility, whereas for the most part, Sony game the on the PlayStation they'll simply run exactly as they ran on the PS4, just on the PS5. Now, there are exceptions. We'll get into that in a little bit. But the general idea that Microsoft is embracing is kind of similar to the iPhone, in that Microsoft wants to, I think, accelerate the hardware transitioning and accelerate sort of the hardware life cycle and adopt a model where, kind of like an iPhone, when you go from an iPhone 11 to an iPhone 12 you don't get an entirely new operating system like all that you you get the same iOS experience it's just slightly faster and depending on the phone hardware you might have new features because there are features that are in the iPhone 12 that aren't in the 11 or the 10 or the 9 but the old hardware does not kind of cease to cease working it, it you can continue to use an iPhone like I have an iPhone 10 I mean at this point it's like what 2 or 3 years old now uh, it's still working um, and there's nothing wrong with it. And I just don't get access to some of the newest features that are exclusive to the 12. 
And so Microsoft is kind of trying to pitch this same model for consoles, where they're saying like, hey, when you buy an Xbox, you're going to get an experience that's unique to that level of hardware. But then if you upgrade to the next Xbox or whatever, you're going to take all of your games and applications and accessories with you. So it is very much a cell phone model, but being applied to the game console. And it's new. Like, no hardware manufacturer in gaming has ever done anything like that before. Okay. And I've seen that with, uh, like, the cross-play and stuff. But um, as I've started to take advantage of that, you know, I've the Xbox currently sits out in the living room of my house. And it's essentially our, our Netflix machine. I've been playing just about any game that I, that I can here in the office because it is my man cave and I'm slowly but surely trying to make a full PC master race transition. Um, so for enthusiasts, do you think that this is kind of going to negatively affect Xbox in general? I mean, I, it couldn't affect everybody because I, I did some some numbers here. I mean, even on, on Steam, it, it seems that gamers overall aren't really nerd enthusiasts as we are. I mean, the most popular GPU out there is still a 1060. Most of the uh, CPU is still rocking six core lower and 10 AP is still kind of king. So I, I don't see everyone immediately saying, Hey, you know what? I can play the same games better on my, my awesome gaming rig PC. But uh, at least for me, I've seen that my Xbox has been uh, absolutely not used as a gaming machine for the most part over this generation. So what do you see that like as a positive net effect, is this going to work out to be a good call for Microsoft or is there a way to kind of negatively affect them? I don't know. And, and that's, it's one of those things because on the one hand, as someone who also games on PC, who games on PC and also on consoles, I love the fact that Microsoft is finally um, taking the PC somewhat seriously as a gaming platform again, because sure. let's, let's face it pretty much when the original Xbox came out in 2001 with Halo, from that moment on, the PC was a second-rate citizen for Microsoft because they had complete control on the Xbox ecosystem. And so there, I mean, the original Halo games, none of them were... Ever, like, they released Halo 1 for PC. It got a PC port. But Halo 2, Halo 3, Halo 4 were all Xbox exclusives. And Gears of War, I think the original Gears of War might have gotten a Windows uh, launch... But then Gears of War 2, Gears of War 3, all uh, Xbox exclusive. And so basically, for a very long time, if you wanted to play certain franchises, you had to play them on an Xbox. Now, Microsoft has finally realized that, or they've finally made the decision that, no, they're not going to do that anymore. And so from here on out, all major Microsoft intellectual properties, so Gears of War, Halo, any new... Xbox games coming out, Sea of Thieves, all of the uh, Forza Horizon, all of these games come to Windows at the exact same time that they are released on Xbox, which is a new uh, that that's an interesting uh, t sort of twist in the in the, the situation because it before you could make the argument well you know PC gaming is awesome but if you want to play certain games you just have to be on console now that's increasingly not the case now. PC, you, you run into issues like, you know, are those games like coming... Like everything. Well, yeah, I mean, you run into issues like, are those games coming to Steam? Or are they only coming to the Microsoft Store? The Microsoft Store is still kind of buggy. It's not in the same... 
the 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 game yeah i have enough trouble finding my microsoft purchase games half the time it's nowhere near as intuitive as steam yeah I, i've the, actually the, lost the, games on my own computer thanks to microsoft store which i probably shouldn't admit to the world like that but i have they they still have work to do on that it is not nearly as polished and stable as the xbox ecosystem on an xbox console but Microsoft is trying to bring that Xbox name to Windows, and the idea of Xbox is kind of ceasing to be a console and more of a gaming brand for Microsoft, that all things gaming fall under the Xbox umbrella, which is a very odd... Again, for this is all very new and very different. And uh, it... it so, to, to, so to go back to I mean, the, the original point is like, is there a point for to buy an Xbox at, the, at at this stage in the proceedings? And I don't know um, because you have. I mean, if everything's coming to PC, then you can just and you already have a PC. Then buying an Xbox is kind of a uphill battle. You, you you have to make an uphill battle for that argument because you already have a PC, especially if it's a newish PC that can run games in a high quality give you a high-quality gaming experience, then yeah. But, however, and, and plus we with PC, you get so many choices. I mean, that's always been the thing about PC, is you have choices. Do you want uh, ultra-wide monitors, or do you want to run a multi-monitor setup? Like, if you play Flight Sims, do you want to have three monitors all around you to create the, you know, create the, the sensation of being in a cockpit and looking out the windows? Do you want to play in VR? I mean, Xbox doesn't even offer VR which is, I think is still an interesting... Like, even with the Series X, Microsoft or Xbox has been very clear that VR is not a priority, which I think is... I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with that decision, but it's a very interesting decision that they've stuck to it. Um, but the, the flip side is, like you said, a lot of you know, PC gamers are not... Not every PC gamer is spending $3,000 on their rig. The vast majority of PC gamers are still gaming at 1080p. They're still using a video card from, what, four years ago, three years ago? Um, right, so there's a chance that the PC isn't their, their primary gaming machine. And you actually reminded me of, um, like, back, what was it, uh, the Diablo release, where gamers absolutely got no love, and it was announced it was going to be on, on mobile. You know, don't you guys have phones? So it's it's nice as a I guess you know self-identified PC gamer to see that uh, I guess it was originally the the rumors of the demise of the individual PC have been you know greatly exaggerated because uh, you know that nowadays a kid is much more likely to have an iPad or be gaming on the iPhone I think uh, kids having their own PC in the room or whatever is less and less common so. Well, I'm not, it's uh, i think is it coming back or the numbers I'm, going up because i know that was the the kind of a common knowledge a couple years ago but well, that, at least now the, in my that, bubble it doesn't seem that way that was the fear and 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 we have to again the context we have to look back at the business context surrounding the previous launch so the the playstation 4 era of console at the time the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One were being designed, the world was going through a huge economic recession. It was the biggest recession since the Great Depression. Because you were talking, like, you're talking the 2009 to 2011 period. Cause those consoles, it's a great time to be on active duty. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, the world's going through recessions. And then on top of that, you had all of these Wall Street analysts that were looking at the explosive growth of mobile gaming 
and they were convinced that mobile gaming was just going to destroy consoles. That, you know, consoles were irrelevant, mobile gaming was the future. And in hindsight, we can see that no, that was not the case at all. And in fact, those people were very, very mistaken. But you can understand at the time why both Sony and Microsoft did not want to put a lot of money into the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. They were they were anticipating that effectively the PlayStation 4 would be the last PlayStation ever made. And now history has shown us that that was not even remotely accurate. In fact, it was the opposite. The PlayStation 4 has been one of the most successful PlayStations ever for Sony, and PlayStation 5 is already on track to outsell PlayStation 4 within the same first 90 days. So it's very much that console gaming is not dead, um, because at the end of the day, no amount of mobile gaming... Mobile gaming is cool, the convenience of being able to take it with you, but at the end of the day... Uh, nobody's hooking up their iPhone to a 65-inch TV. You know, if you give me the choice of sitting on the couch and having, you know, a 65-inch TV and getting that full gaming experience or sitting on the couch staring at my, what, 5-inch phone screen, yeah, it's no comparison. It, it's a different type of market. They're, I think the mistake that was made is they assumed that they that the mobile gamers and the sort of core gamers were the same market. And I think we now know that there may be overlap, but they are also two very distinct markets that run on their own, that run parallel effectively. And I think, um, going back, sorry, I've kind of gone off on a tangent. I'm looking over my notes here. Um, I guess the idea going forward is, I think it will be interesting to see how the Xbox brand evolves. Because like right now, if you have a gaming PC, I, especially with Game Pass now coming to PC as well, I, I almost don't see Xbox is just the actual Xbox hardware is a lot less compelling if you don't if, uh, if you already have a solid PC. Now, if you don't already have a solid PC, then I will absolutely make the argument for the Series X because for five hundred dollars, that machine is a monster. Like for it, sure, and it, for the generational conversation, like since we are at the start of a new generation, the you know performance per dollar is absolutely going to be in the favor of the consoles, right? Oh, absolutely. Now, since we're at the end of the previous generation, buying a you know PS4 right now or an Xbox uh, One, you you could do as you could do better for about the same money. I'd say you shop around a little bit, but that's not going to be the case with the the newer stuff. So that'll be another review of another conversation of how the dollar perform per. The performance per dollar really does seem to taper during these generations, and if there's an answer for that, which I really don't know, well, we can work through that. Yeah, it always does, because I remember like when I got my 360, I had been, always been a PC gamer until I got the Xbox 360, and then I kind of transitioned over to console gaming for a very long time, and then it wasn't until the end of the Xbox 360 era that I got back into PC gaming, and a lot of it was because the Xbox 360... That generation went on forever. That was like an eight or nine year generation. And effectively, by the end, the hardware was very long in tooth. And you could tell that developers were struggling to, to, to get games to run on this hardware that was now almost 10 years old. And so at that point, PC became such a superior experience that it was like, it made more sense. 
Um, I think right now, unfortunately, PC hardware is just completely messed up. Like the combination of quarantine and uh, COVID-19 and everything that's happened and the tariffs and everything that's happening right now sort of economically in the global economy. It is a terrible time to be a PC gamer right now. I mean, it's a terrible time to be a gamer, period. I mean, you can't buy consoles. You can't get a PS5 or a Series X right now. You can't get a graphics card right now. Um, even used cards are going for almost three times their value. And then we've got crypto uh, coming back around for, what, round three of its crypto booming. So, like, PC gaming and gaming in general right now is very hard. But, yeah, when you get back to the start of a console generation is always the best time to buy a console. Because if you look at the specifications that are in the new Xbox and the new PS5, you cannot build a an 8-core Ryzen gaming PC with the same amount of RAM the same fast SSD and the same level of graphics performance for the $400 to $500 price point. You're just, you're not going to do it. Like the, I, I've, I tried pricing it out the other day and the, I think the cheapest you're going to get is around $900. So it, it, you just, you can't, at the start of a console generation, you cannot compete with the value that the console brings to the table. Um, so, all right, I think we've kind of we've kind of gone off on a tangent here, so let's let's bring it back a little bit. So, sorry, no, it's good, it's good, it's a good discussion. That's what it's all about. So, Microsoft is kind of moving into this iPhone model, where the idea is you buy an Xbox, and then once you're in the ecosystem, you're in, you take all your toys with you, and you just the experience you get is tailored to the level of your hardware, but the experience is offered on a variety of level of hardware, a variety of hardware levels. There we go. English, good language. Now, Sony has taken a, a different approach. Sony has traditionally been very, very adamant, and even to this day, like Mark Cerny, the lead architect for the uh, the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 5, has said out has said in the press that uh, Sony believes very strongly in generations. Uh, they they believe very strongly in giving developers new technology and new tools to push gaming forward. They are a very forward-thinking company in terms of, of their sort of, I guess, their philosophy. Um, they've even made the argument that cross-gen games stifle innovation. And, I mean, when asked about backwards compatibility for the previous generations of PlayStation, because right now the PS5 is only compatible with PS4, so if you have older games like PS3, PS2, PS1, none of those will run on a PS5. And Jim Ryan, president of PlayStation, was asked about this, and his response is, have you seen the way, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, have you seen the graphics of those old games? They look terrible. Why would anyone want to play them? So yeah, pure nostalgia, and I've, I've definitely been guilty of that. I think Ace Combat 4 Shattered Skies may have been the, the greatest uh, Ace Combat ever, but I'm sure if I were to go back and play it right now, I'd be thinking, okay, so this didn't age nearly as well as I was expecting it to. So I, I get it on that, though if you offered me a you know 4K uh, resolution upscale on that, I would definitely give it a shot. Well, I think, I mean, we, talk, I mean, we talked about this a lot in business school. Like, corporations have cultures, and despite the fact that Sony has one of the richest gaming histories 
around today, second to only to Nintendo, um, and Legacy, they're not interested in kind of revisiting that legacy nearly as much as Microsoft is. Um, which I think is just, it's an interesting corporate thing. Sony is about pushing, the PlayStation brand exists to push gaming forward. And you can see it in everything they do, from the fact that they design the hardware, even the shape of the new console is very in-your-face. Like, it is about, you know, they want you to notice it. They want you to think about, look at the look at this machine, look at the experience, think about the experiences you're going to have. Their new controller with this, uh, with like the resistant triggers that actually increase the tension to try and give you active feedback while you're playing the game. These are all features and, and emphasis that is about creating a new experience as opposed to all of the work that Microsoft has done on the backwards compatibility is about allowing you to kind of continue to enjoy your favorite experiences for years to come. So it's almost, it, it, it's a very different, I guess, corporate culture, if you will, or corporate ideology, um, which is interesting. So um, now let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, the... Let's get into cyberpunk. Let's talk about the the cyberpunk dilemma, if you will. Um, Sony argues that cross-gen games stifle Im innovation and limit developers. What do you think, Ken? I, I I really don't understand where they're coming from on that. I read the article that we have in our notes here, and I assume we'll put up on uh, show notes as well. Game Game of Sutra is that how you pronounce mm -hmm. it? Um, arguing that and. So actually, I got more out of the comments on that, where some people point out that you know it's PC is not necessarily pushing innovation; it's tied to PC kind of those games. Everything is tied to the new console generations to make the the best game that can take advantage of the hardware. And a hardware demo comes out, and I, I guess there's some reasonableness to that. I honestly haven't given that much thought to what drives innovation would we still be interested in the the newest highest res game if consoles simply didn't exist i assume so but it also seems that new console generations can be what inspire developers to kind of get moving and, and try to push something um, but i've seen for when we're talking about say trying to maintain different hardware generations and then you've got trying to bridge the gap with some of these games i'm thinking something like I don't know, prior to even Cyberpunk, um, we had uh, Grand Theft Auto Five and the Grand Theft Auto Online, which is now going to cross into another generation. I can't wait to see what happens to GTA Online as they pull that off yet again. But, you know, I was playing that originally on uh, PS3 and made the migration to PS4, and I remember when, uh, when Heist came out and all the rage from the PS3 crowd, however long the PS4 had already been out for, and they were still saying, I can't believe, you know, why, why are you not putting Heists on my system? So... That's kind of a roundabout way of saying I'm, I'm not sure that I agree with them on that, but I don't have nearly the evidence to make a coherent uh, kind of argument against that. Now, with Cyberpunk, the dilemma is that's that is simply tied to making everyone happy or getting all the money. You're trying to put this game out as a, it's practically a tech demo. Is it, I'd say, maybe a, this generation's kind of crisis, perhaps, where you've got this game that, you know, for zero punctuation fans, uh, I think Yahtzee would describe it as, uh, meant to run on a futuristic supercomputer from space, and they're going to release it on a generation that has already well and truly aged out. And in order to do that, 
you know, what sacrifices were made, what corners were cut to try and make that work. And it didn't. And uh, we had issues with supporting it on PC has had problems running it. And if you're running it on PS5 or you know, Xbox, you're, you're not even playing the new variant. You're just playing the, the game meant for the PS4 that is on a system that theoretically can handle it more. So this question comes down to why, why are we trying to, I don't know, even put this game out on previous consoles? I know why. It's the, the money. What yeah, did you say? The majority of purchases are on the old a, hardware. PlayStation 4 just hit 110 million units sold. That's 100 yeah. million potential customers. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're not going to, especially when you think about how long this game has been in development and its costs and stuff, you know, CD Projekt is not going to, unless they absolutely saw no other way, and we can make the debate, we can make the argument that maybe they should have, but they were not going to pass on an install base of over 100 million people. It just was never going to happen. So, um... I don't know. I mean, I get so so. Let's 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 back up and unpack some of the things you said because you made some really good points there. One of the things you talked about was you know do consoles bring everybody down or do they all but do they also or or do they act as the sort of the push forward in terms of innovation? I, I respect think... developers trying to squeeze every little bit out of the hardware that's available, and that's really the great thing that consoles have going for them is you know through the generation graphics improve not due to improved hardware, but due to improved use of it, improved skills as they figure out how to squeeze every little bit out. So I, I see that that sort of development, that sort of creativity, and that's important. I wouldn't want to say I'm not doing that. Certainly PC can be accused of, we'll just throw more hardware at it and problem solved. But I'm not sure if that sort of innovation really translates to better games overall, I guess is yeah, my well, it... lingering question there. Well, you know, and it's it's interesting. The thing about consoles is that I think consoles do drive innovation on several levels. So one of the things, and this is one of the things I can't, and we'll, we'll get into it a little bit in a minute, but I can't stress enough how important the PS5 is for gaming as a whole. Not because I love the PlayStation more than I love PC or Xbox, but because... The PS5, the fact that from here on out, once developers choose to stop uh, developing cross-gen games, like they decide that this game is PS5 and above, effectively, they know that effectively every person that's going to play this game is going to have this SSD, this graphics card or chip, and this process cpu so they're gonna have this ssd this gpu and this cpu like that is kind of like the new floor if you will and it just happens in this instance that the new floor is an exceptionally powerful piece of machinery so i think you actually might see the new generation of consoles i think you're going to see some some angst and frustration out of pc gamers because pc gamers have gotten very used to kind of being the top of the totem pole and the idea that um i I mean there are a good number of pc gamers that still don't use ssds to run their games and stuff so the idea may fellas it's wonderful it is wonderful. I mean, it, it, it's, and especially these days, the prices on SSDs are so fair that like, you really should. But there are people out there who still don't. They run their games at 1080p off a spinning hard drive, 
and they're, they've had a good experience. But we'll talk about file I.O. in a minute and why it's important and why it fundamentally changes how games are designed. But giving every developer a fast SSD, a fast CPU, and a fast GPU in the form of the PlayStation 5 is a game changer for development because now they can target that as quote-unquote their minimum spec, if you will. And that is a much higher... The irony is that the $400 PS5 is a higher tier of tech than the average gaming PC on Steam. Like, significantly higher. And that's exciting because that means we are going to see games that can that start pushing, hopefully pushing the envelope again. Because we have had some stagnation in gaming with regards to... Uh, the, the graphics have obviously gotten significantly better, but a lot of the core gameplay elements have not really progressed. The, the, the games themselves haven't really changed in terms of the, the... Like, you look at, like, open world... Like, this generation was the, the generation of open world gaming. And I'd argue that the most innovative of the open world games that came out this generation was uh, The Legend of Zelda. Breath of the Wild, which was ironically enough the one that was run on the, the least powerful hardware in the form of the Nintendo Switch. So Breath of the Wild can kind of serve as this example of, hey, having the best hardware doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have the best games. It, it's kind of that outlier case that, that debunks the argument. But I do think with regards to Cyberpunk, I mean, you can make the argument that the quality of the P PC version and the quality of the PS5 and potential Series X next-gen versions of the game suffered because developers were spending from what we... from the reports that have come out, and we take all that with a grain of salt because obviously nothing... it's anonymous sources, and it's it's kind of... it's I don't want to say it's hearsay, but it's it, we can't confirm it's it. It's hearsay, yeah. But it seems like a big chunk of the last year or so was spent trying to get the game running on the old consoles. So, so this is making your point that generations of, of consoles are in fact a good thing because they come out and they set a new floor and kind of force PC gamers to finally you know, get on Newegg and upgrade that SSD or upgrade yeah. that GPU. Well, I think you can make that argument. I think you can... I can see that, yeah. That, and, that new consoles drive innovation. And then on top of that, the stuff like you were talking about, like how consoles are inherently limited. You can't just throw more power at a console. So that forces developers to be creative. In the PS4 generation, Sony implemented a very interesting form of image reconstruction, temporal image reconstruction, called checkerboard rendering. And checkerboard rendering, in basic in basic terms, used information from the previous frame to predict what the next frame should be should look like at a higher resolution. And so it allowed games to effectively fake 4K or fake higher resolutions at a while running at a technically lower native resolution and, and in doing so getting uh, better performance. And at, I remember at the time that came out, PC gamers scoffed. They're like, oh, you see this? The PS4 Pro doesn't even run at native 4K. It's, it's doing some sort of checkerboard upscaling thing. It's, it's garbage. 
well, from an end user perspective, if it looks pretty to me, it looks pretty to me. Exactly. At a certain point, I mean, like obviously a native resolution is going to have benefits over any kind of reconstruction. But if you're sitting 10 feet back on the couch, are you really counting pixels? Are you, can you really tell? And the answer is usually no, at which point that performance uplift and the innovation of thinking through that problem and creating that process to solve that problem is huge. And now, look at where we are in 2021 with DLSS, on which is an NVIDIA technology, deep learning super sampling. It's an NVIDIA technology that they introduced with the previous generation Turing cards and is now also on the Ampere cards. And what does DLSS do? DLSS is the next generation of Sony's checkerboard rendering. It uses machine learning to build predictive algorithms to upscale images to higher resolutions through reconstruction. And that allows you to run, instead of running a game at 4K, you can run it at 1440p or 1080p and then use DLSS to reconstruct it. So you get the performance of like a 1080p render target but you get the image of a 4K image. So DLSS is literally the next sta stage in evolution for this kind of checkerboard rendering technology. But And I know that uh, NVIDIA has been working. I don't want to sell DLSS short. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, Sony invented it, therefore NVIDIA is just copying them. Because I'm sure technology like DLSS, that takes years, decades to, to mature. So I'm sure they were working on it for a while. But my point is... Sony brought that kind of technology into the mainstream and showed that it could work with the PlayStation hardware. Once it's in that mainstream, then we begin to see other people adopt their own variants of it. So, you know, uh, NVIDIA creates DLSS. AMD has their own variation uh, coming out at some point in the next generation. In, the, in 2021, we know it's coming. Um, Microsoft has, has made hints that the new Xbox is capable of machine learning, um, of doing some sort of machine learning upsampling down the road. I don't think the functionality is in there yet, but they've. I, I think it's pretty clear they've designed the console with that in mind. So that is innovation that comes effectively from the fact that consoles work on a limited budget. They work on a limited number of resources. And so people have to be creative in how they solve problems. Whereas you look at games like the old Crisis, even Crisis 1, to this day you still cannot run Crisis 1 on any computer at 4K and get like a an experience that I think is what I would call superlative. And a lot of that comes down to the way the game was programmed back in, God, 2007, and the assumptions that were made about PC hardware at the time. And so the end result is the game basically was made under the idea that you would just throw more hardware at it. But ironically enough, the shape and design of hardware changed, and so the kind of hardware that it was designed for never came to be. So to this day, Crisis 1 quite frankly, runs terribly, even on modern computers, which is an interesting little dilemma. But um, since I'm off on this technical tangent, let's let's talk about file I.O. for a second and why the SSDs and the, 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 the raising the floor of the consoles is important. So file I.O. refers to 
file input and output. And it is the process of reading data off a disk and putting it into memory where it can be accessed. So Computer 101, when you launch a game, your CPU, like on, and it doesn't matter what you're launching it on, your, your PC or your Xbox, your PlayStation, when you launch a game, the CPU, the central processing unit in your, con in your system, goes and it finds the data files for that game on your storage device, which is usually your hard drive, and then it copies as much of that data as it can into your system memory, which is your RAM. And then it fills, effectively fills as much of the RAM as it is able to, and then the game goes. And when you move on to a new level or you load from a previous save, it takes that system memory, it scrubs it, it dumps all the old data, and loads all the new data in. That's why we have loading screens. That's what they are. It is effectively copying data from the storage device to the main memory so that the CPU and the GPU can have access to it. That is how computers work. Now, why is that relevant for gaming? Well, you've got the PS4. The PS4 has an older 5400 RPM hard drive, and it has 8 gigabytes of RAM of which six are available to games at this point. In a best case scenario, it would take approximately 6.7 seconds to move one gigabyte of data from that old hard drive to the RAM. So the best case scenario is it's gonna take 40 seconds approximately to load everything into memory. And if, you, if you've used a PlayStation 4 and you've tried to load a game, like you play like an Assassin's Creed game or God of War, and you try to load up a, a previous save, that's about how long, how much time it takes. It usually takes between yeah. 40 and 60 seconds to load a game. GTA and, Online was uh, unplayable recently on the, the Spinny until I, that's that's what inspired me to get the external SSD. I, I just, the, the loading screens were essentially go get a drink. Yeah. Oh, and, and that's what people have got, and that's and that's because again, it takes it takes so much time to copy that data from the storage device into memory. So, forty seconds is your best case scenario in a lot of instances. The reality is, in a lot of applications, it's closer to a hundred and twenty seconds or two minutes. It's closer to two minutes to load the game. Now, where does that come in with the PS Five? Mark Cerny, the guy who created the, the guy, the lead architect for the PS5, he talked to a lot of developers. And when he was designing the console, one of the things they talked about was this bottleneck, this this limitation. Like we can't get our data into memory fast enough. Help us do that. And so the PS5 has a an absurd, absurd custom designed uh, solid state drive with all this other custom the all these other custom chips there are what we call fixed function hardware these these custom chips that are designed to do one thing and that's support the file io pipeline and the end result is that the ps5 can read data from the ssd and then copy it into memory and the ps5 has 16 gigs of memory in under two seconds beautiful so you've literally just gone from needing 40 seconds in a best-case scenario to load data to two seconds. 
So let's go back to Cyberpunk here. The big issue with Cyberpunk on the consoles is that the game has trouble loading the data from the hard drive to the player, effectively, because Cyberpunk was designed around the idea that effectively there are once you load into the game world there are no loading screens and so to do that you have to be streaming data in in the background constantly but what happens is if your system cannot stream the data in quickly enough you get awful dips in performance where effectively the game has to freeze or it has to pause it has to you know it just it it's it stutters and it staggers and it's just because the, the, the background process of copying the data into memory cannot keep up with the player and the game. We saw this a little bit in Jedi Fallen Order. And it's interesting because if you go uh, look at the Marvel Spider-Man on PlayStation 4, they actually tuned the speed of Spider-Man's web-slinging to the data speed of the PlayStation 4. So in other words, they limited... Spider-Man could theoretically web-sling faster and the player could control it, but the problem is it would be it it would allow the player to move too quickly, and the and around the, the game the, the the streaming would not have uh, time to uh, build the city in the background. So they actively changed a gameplay dynamic around the limitation of how fast can we load the city in the background. Now some games get around this by having loading screens. Uh, if you think about Skyrim, The Elder Scrolls, you know. Once you're out in the big world, yeah, you can run from one side of the map without, to the other without a loading screen. But the minute you go into like a dungeon or you go into a big building, there's a load screen. It stops. It you know you get the little lore image, the image and the lore, a little bit of lore information. And depending on how fast your hard drive is and your PC or your gaming system, it may be a quick loading screen. But there's still a loading screen there. There is still a pause where the game takes away and minimizes the load on the system so that it can process the data and then it gives the player control again. That's one solution. Another solution that we see in a lot of games is the the tunnels where you have like if you're playing a third person game like God of War, or Tomb Raider, you know, or Jedi Fallen Order, the the character kind of crawls into this small space for a minute and like there there's like a tunnel and your, your field of view is very narrow and very scoped as they move through like this little crevice or whatever. And that is the same idea. They are effectively, they don't want to have a load screen. So what they do is they minimize the load on the system by putting you in this small space that's easy to render so that the system can load the next area in the background. And then they slow the player down and make you kind of move through that space at a certain speed so that they can load it in the background. So that's where, like when people talk about the importance of the the uh, the SSD, they're not saying, like, it's not that the SSD is going to make your games, it's not going to give you more frames per second or give you better ray tracing or anything like that, but what it allows developers to do is if they know that they have an SSD that can effectively saturate the RAM buffer in under two seconds, that means that they can design the game around that principle. So that means that they don't have to create these artificial choke points to slow the player down so that they can hide the load screen. Or they don't have to have load screens at all because the, the system is fast enough to just dump data and then put it and then put the new data in on the fly like that. Um, 
Mark Cerny's talk on the system, on the architecture of the PS5 is phenomenal. Uh, if people out there, if, if you if you like some of this technical talk, I highly recommend checking it out. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, it is a phenomenal talk. It's about an hour long, and it's funny because it's, it's on the PlayStation, official PlayStation channel, and it's one of the most downvoted videos on the channel because I guess the gamers that tuned into it weren't expecting a, a lecture on computer system hardware. <laughs> Uh, they they were, they just wanted to see some games, and they got this guy talking about you know uh, system buffers and and fill rates and all this other stuff, and they're like, what is all this garbage? But Boy. it's actually a really good talk, and it breaks down a lot of these concepts. Um, and so, great, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I guess they they uh, and then here we are uh, making a podcast on that exact topic, but I'm still interested, so I'll keep pressing on. Yeah, so uh, I mean that's really it, and so that comes that that kind of with that said that is the kind of the hardware disparity you're seeing when you have like a big jump in terms of heart of technology like this with like with a console and so like kind of moving into like our, our wrap-up period here we've got you know each strategy has benefits and drawbacks i mean microsoft's benefit is that i can still play knights of the old republic on my xbox and what's funny is that it actually runs better on the Xbox than it did, does on PC because getting Knights of the Old Republic to work on a widescreen PC today is awful. It, it just it was never designed for it, and it's a pain in the butt. But on Xbox, not only does the game run, but it even got a 4K enhancement patch. So it runs at an even better resolution in life than it's ever had on that console and we see a bunch of games like that like red dead redemption 1 runs in 4k on xbox gears of war 3 runs in 4k and by the way it's amazing how games from the xbox 360 era as soon as you fix the frame rate issues and up the resolution suddenly they look almost as good as next gen games like it, it, it it's amazing how much life those simple quality of life things breathe back into them but on the flip side, you have Sony saying no, or, or let me phrase it, but the drawback is if you're constantly worried about kind of keeping those old games great, you're not really focusing on the new stuff. Uh, a buddy of mine uh, commented to me the other, uh, a couple weeks ago, that he was kind of frustrated because he was able to get a Series X, but he just doesn't feel like he has any games right now that really take advantage of it. Well, that's the same thing they said when the PS4 came out. I remember those exact conversations. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit of, of uh, unfortunately, console generations are not clean breaks. Like, there's always that kind of transitionary period. Um, but you can see sometimes that companies try to make them. So, like, you look at Sony. Look at the Demon Souls remake. There is no version of the Demon Souls remake for PlayStation 4. It's only on PlayStation 5. It was designed around the PlayStation 5 from the get-go. And it does stuff that only the PlayStation 5 can do in the PlayStation family. And so Demon Souls is a, from a visual audio perspective, is truly a next-gen title that you can't get anywhere else. And so the, that that's where you get into this, this, you know, the there is an advantage to drawing a line in the sand and saying, hey, this is the new standard. But then as someone who likes... As someone who has gotten a lot of use out of backwards compatibility and likes to go back and play old games, I also appreciate 
the the Microsoft model and allowing me to keep my old games and and not only do they continue to run but they run even better now than they did at launch I think that's really cool I think that's really special so I, I agreed so, so I don't with know. I, I feel like we're kind of discussing two two separate things so for Red Dead Redemption or Gears of War 3 backwards compatibility is is very different than say trying to bridge generations right because there's no more development going on there's gears of war 3 is gears of war 3 the game's not changing you're making it prettier you're making it run on the the forward stuff but you're running into issues when you try to make a game that would be far better a new game rather run on the old stuff rather than making an old game run on the new stuff and i i think that's that's where this discussion about generations and all that, are, are we just trying to figure out when do we draw a line or I mean certainly the, I don't think that working on a 4K enhancement patch for Gears of War 3 is holding back development on current generation games. I don't think that's a negative impact at all. I do think trying to bridge PS3 and PS4 and the GTA Online or bridge cyberpunk when you basically just explained why this game absolutely should have been you know current gen and forward period no ifs ands or buts you know trying to make the new stuff run the old stuff is absolutely that seems to rarely work well unless you absolutely hold back a lot of the potential of the current games that's a that's, that's a good point and i actually it's interesting your point that uh backwards compatibility is not necessarily the same thing as cross-gen i hadn't thought of it that way i kind of lumped them all together um, I hadn't actually thought about separating them out like that. I think the thing about the cross-gen thing is you can do it, but it requires the developers to do... It requires them to create a wider spectrum on the experience that I think a lot of publishers and developers are hesitant to do. So let me give you an example. Cyberpunk was always going to struggle on the current generation consoles. Absolutely. But some of the just staggering like issues with loading assets, like the the the, the blob people that take 30 seconds to for the the high quality model to load in. Some of that stuff could have been alleviated if they added small loading screens to the game. So kind of like Dying Light or Skyrim where there are strategically placed loading screens throughout the world. So effectively, you know, maybe, you know, leaving V's apartment building, maybe that's one area, and then when you walk out down onto the city street, maybe there's a small, on the, on the console version, maybe you put a small loading screen there, like a, a door or something. And then on the PC version, you can take that out. And effectively, you don't need it on the PC version, but then on the, the console version, you add it there. So that would allow you to work around the limitations. But it would also mean that you're getting a fundamentally different experience because you're not getting that, quote-unquote, seamless open world. And I think a lot of developers are hesitant to kind of, to, to actively, I guess, not discriminate, that's the wrong word, but to to, uh, to to make those compromises. Like, for example, the issues with uh, Halo Infinite. A lot of people were commenting how awful Halo, that gameplay footage of Halo Infinite looked. Like, the, 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 the graphics just didn't look good. And I'd argue probably a lot of that is because Halo Infinite is trying to... It, they're still trying to achieve the same 60 frames per second 
that it's going to do on the next gen hardware, they're trying to do that on the old hardware as well. And that's an example where I would just say, forget it. On the next gen, it runs at 60 frames per second. And then if you buy it on the current gen, it runs at 30 frames per second. Seems fair. That would allow you to achieve a similar level of graphical fidelity across both generations. The main difference will be one runs faster and better than the other. And it's clear that the team at 343 isn't willing to do that. They aren't willing to have effectively two experiences. But then, the, but then we get into the question of, okay, but then are you potentially, if you're not willing to create those separations between experiences, then are you bringing the overall experience down for everyone because you're allowing this older hardware to kind of act like an anchor and prevent you from from setting sail, if you will. Um, I don't know. I mean, it 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 will be interesting because I we talked to, mentioned earlier, PC gaming is on the up, man. Like Twitch in particular has been huge for PC gaming because as more and more kids grow up in this, and we're dinosaurs. I don't, I understand Twitch. But I don't get it, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I, I never could have foreseen people paying to watch other people play video games. And yeah. I guess I will now wave my cane around. Yeah, and I do no. have a Twitch account, and I enjoy Twitch now and then, but I, I never could have... If I hadn't known of Twitch, and you walked into a room and said, you know, hey, let me pitch you this idea, I I would have laughed. Yeah, and, and we're and dinosaurs. We don't get it. But the thing is, a lot of kids are growing up now in the post-Twitch world. And they watch their favorite streamers play. And a lot of streamers have kind of moved to PC. Because it's a lot easier to stream from a PC than it is from a console. Uh, just the process of setting up OBS and running it and running the stream and managing it all. Significantly easier on a PC than it is on a console. And so as more and more streamers use PCs, uh, more and more of their audience become interested in PC gaming. It's the influencer effect. And we're seeing it on PC gaming through Twitch. We're also seeing it on things like the sale of hardware and stuff. Like, I think you're going to find in the future hardware companies like NVIDIA, um, uh, 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 people who do accessories like Logitech and Razer, they're going to stop doing traditional advertising, like, you know, taking out banner ads and stuff. And they're just going to send their favorite streamers, you know, new stuff. Like, hey, uh, it's the Kenny. Have a brand new uh, Razer wireless gaming keyboard and mouse and just use it on your stream. And you don't even have to talk about it. You just have to hold it up and say, hey, guys, Razer sent me this thing. Oh, this thing's, uh, I love it. It's super sweet. I love playing, you know, Warzone with this new keyboard. That's all you got to yeah, do. Just, just be awesome and use it. Exactly. And and, and the, 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 the marketing, the, the value per dollar of that marketing, it probably exceeds anything that any formal advertising campaign could ever do. Absolutely. Because the, 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 the power of those influencers is so high. So yeah, we've kind of, we, sorry, we've kind of gone off on a couple different tangents here, but hopefully people uh, have enjoyed the experience. So let's, let's, uh, let's bring it back to the main thing. Um, yeah, it was a, a good conversation. Um, but you know, for, for generations, I personally, I don't see the current model as it is changing. I, I like the increased backwards compatibility. I, I, enjoy being able to fire up my retro games although i am proving a lot of the executives right when they say that everyone says they want that but no one will actually use it 
you know, I, I love my my old library of games that I have and will probably never fire up again because I barely have time to play the the new games that are so awesome. But I do appreciate it. Um, I I don't I don't think do we, do we have a conclusion here besides backwards compatibility good cross gen difficult. No, and I don't think we need to have like a set conclusion. Again, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I've solved everything and that these companies should just hire me and I'll solve all their problems. Um, not yet. We'll get there. Yeah, I think I think time will tell with the Xbox model, the idea of turning the Xbox into more of a service than an actual piece of hardware that you buy. That is an interesting concept that... Who knows? Maybe the future is service-based, and maybe in 10 years we'll look back at this and say, wow, I can't believe they ever thought that it wasn't going to be the future. But on the flip side, I must admit, I kind of like the console process because there's something exciting about the spec... You know, like, I, I was so in on the speculation for the new the new hardware, um, like, on the PS5 and the new Xbox. What kind of, you know, what kind of hardware are they going to have? Are they going to have SSDs? You know, what, what, what's, what the process is. And I really like watching, getting to watch people's faces and getting to read the feedback of people who have been on, like, a base PS4. And then they get the PS5. And, it, like, seeing how fast things load in how quickly the system starts up, like how snappy the operating system feels. I think there is an inherent value to that delineation between experiences. So I think... I think I am going to go ahead and say that I think console generations are a good thing. And while I understand the business argument for cross-gen games, I feel like more publishers and developers should actively, you know, they, they should they should make the cut earlier and and just embrace the new hardware when it comes out. That is that is my opinion, I think. I I think we've pretty well uh, substantiated that on this pod. So that sounds right to me. With that I think we'll call it there that we've been we've been going for a solid hour here. Um, so as always to the people listening, thank you for listening. Um, please check out the show notes for links to some of the articles and points that we talked about here. And uh, I will also uh, put my I guess I'll put my Twitter handle in the show notes as well. And if anyone who does listen to listen to this wants to send me some feedback or uh, you know, send in ideas for things you want to hear us talk about. Uh, feel free to uh, to hit me up. Uh, anything else you got to add, Kenny? No, that's uh, feedback's great. Any prompts we can get for something to ramble about for another hour, we will certainly appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, and stay safe and have a good one.